Thanks for clicking play on the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. I'm Spencer Dirks alongside Dr. Bob Leonard. As always, Dr. Bob, how you doing? Pretty darn good. Thank you. Pretty Beautiful busy day. week news-wise. Busy. Had yeah. the election last Tuesday, so we'll discuss the results for that. Mainly focused on the Iowa results, but we'll also later on in the show talk about some good news when it comes to abortion rights in the country. Of course, we'll have our Cock Talk segment. Plenty to talk about there. Tim Scott has suspended his campaign. And with that, Nikki Haley has decided to pour even more money into the early primary states. Also, the Supreme Court is adopting its first code of ethics. We'll discuss that. And the big flop over the weekend, the Marvels. Are you a Marvel fan? I know you've seen some of the Marvel movies. Yeah, I love them. They're great. Did you like Captain Marvel? Because this is yeah. a sequel to Captain Marvel. Right. No, I liked Captain Marvel. It was it was good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed them all. Same. I thought it was good, too. But yeah, this one was, especially by Marvel standards, a gigantic flop. And then we'll end things with top five condiments today. Works for me. All right. So we'll get things started. This is from Todd Dorman in the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Moms for Liberty got its bell rung. For starters, on Tuesday, again last Tuesday, three candidates endorsed by the conservative group were defeated in their effort to gain seats on the Linmar School Board. Linmar has become the epicenter of efforts by conservatives to malign schools as liberal indoctrination centers, curtail the rights of LGBTQ students, and remove books from library shelves and curriculum. Moms for Liberty has led the charge for anti-LGBTQ legislation and book removals. Although the group flexed its muscle at the GOP-controlled state house, it had a bad election night. In addition to the three Linmar candidates, two Moms for Liberty candidates in Cedar Rapids were defeated. The trend went beyond Linmar. In other parts of the state, races in the Des Moines suburbs, Ankeny, Johnston, and West Des Moines went to progressive candidates, according to unofficial results. In the Johnston district, where the conservative family leader spent thousands of dollars boosting a four-candidate slate, all four of them lost. Meanwhile, candidates endorsed by the LGBTQ advocacy group One Iowa won in Ankeny, Johnston, Des Moines, Urbandale, and Waukee. In the Linmar race, incumbent Britannia Mori was endorsed by One Iowa and re-elected. Even in conservative Pella, voters narrowly defeated a measure putting the public library under city council control. One Iowa reports that 85% of their endorsed candidates won and 92% of Moms for Liberty back candidates lost. Now that's great news. It's pretty rare. Two weeks in a row, we're starting off with some pretty good news for Democrats and progressives in the state of Iowa. Who would have thunk? Well, people don't like what these people are up to. They don't like them demonizing kids. They don't like them demonizing our public schools. They don't like them being the final arbiter of what the kids get to read. There's just all kinds of things. And and uh, it's just really good. I've met a couple of the Johnston School Board candidates at uh, at the Polk County Steak Fry in September, I believe it was. And, you know, just good people, you know, really care about the schools and don't want to let, you know, a, a, you know, sort of an outlandish, radical minority that wants to impose their will on all of us just didn't want them. And so, I mean, I'm glad they won. They seem like really good people. And, and uh, yeah, it's great. I just hope that this doesn't mean that Democrats become complacent. They often do, but no, you have to keep fighting, fighting, fighting. You know, there's something in the New York Times, I forget by who. Oh, I think it was David Brooks, who's always just really 
often pisses me off. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. says, Democrats, you can relax. Well, no. That's, no, you can't relax. You have to keep fighting, 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 and voting, voting, voting. The nice thing is, too, the theme of our last podcast last week was basically how dysfunctional the Democrats in Iowa were. We had that fight between the University of Iowa Democrats and the state party about their tweet mentioning, you know, the war between Israel and Hamas and just generally not very good leadership, management, etc. from the top of the state party down. This is a promising sign because oftentimes people that start off in the school board, they get their name out there. It's a way for them to learn how government works. And those are people that end up possibly being in the state house or eventually being a state senator or even a U.S. congressperson. Yeah, no, let's hope so. Let's just hope that this continues. And it's interesting, Democrats always apologize. They always are weak. They always, and in part because they're analytical and they want to think about things, they see all sides of things. But as we talked about last week, Rita Hart criticizing the you know the University of Iowa Democrats was a mistake. It's a mistake. She's you know it's essentially an apology. You can't you can't be talking like that. Well, they need to double down. They need to see it as a learning moment. The kids can say what you don't want to alienate the young people, and you know and there's so many times this happens. The best example I can come up with is when Hillary Clinton called some of Trump's supporters deplorable. Yeah. Okay, and so what happens? She apologizes. She didn't really mean it. No, what she should have done is double down. If you're a misogynist and you're a racist, you're deplorable. It's that easy. Yes. You just say that. You double down. You don't apologize. When has a Republican in the last 20 years ever apologized about anything? I don't remember one off the top of my head. No, I mean, if we do something that is really wrong, apologize. They never will. You know, or they'd be apologizing for Trump. They'd be apologizing for Tommy Tuberville. They'd be uh, apologizing for Rand Paul. They'd be apologizing for everybody, you know. Um, But they don't. They just double down. But we need to assess, was there a kernel of truth in everything that we say, including were you deplorable? Because they were deplorable. And why apologize? You don't apologize because, I mean, because you fear somebody's going to feel bad. Well, yeah, and also the people that you were calling deplorable probably know who they are and are never going to vote for Hillary Clinton to begin with. So who are you really trying to please? Yeah. Nobody. That also brings me to this. I didn't have this on our agenda, but I voted last week in the school and city elections. And I was sort of thinking, it seems like we always get... Two ends of the spectrum. We get the the farthest left and the farthest right that we can because we have closed primaries in the state of Iowa. What are your thoughts on having an open primary? Would that help maybe not have such extremes running against each other? Maybe if we had an open primary where if you're a Democrat, you could vote in the Republican primary and vice versa, that maybe we would have more centrist candidates, better candidates? 
Well, I'm, I don't accept your premise. I don't think that the people on the left are the far extreme. I Well, yeah, that's fine. We'll just throw that out. But on the Republican side, certainly, and especially extreme. in recent years, it started with the Tea Party, and now we've got the Freedom Caucus and the Matt Gates and the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, and they are pretty much as extreme as you can be and still be an electable person. But if there was an open primary process, maybe those people would be weeded out by the, the Democrats. Perhaps, but I think the real problem is gerrymandering. Yeah, and even things like ranked choice voting, which California does, I believe Alaska does the same thing. Maybe that would be a, a way to get things to be less polar or polarized. Well, it seems to have worked in the cases that I've seen. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, I think it's too complex for people to understand, though. They're not going to take that the could time be. to understand it. Yeah, and I'm just saying, especially in having an open primary, just have it the same day, just like they do now, but you can vote. Just vote for both sides if you want. If you want to vote for the Republican, you can. If you want to vote for the Democrat, you can. If you don't want to, then you don't have to, just like anything else where you go and and vote. You don't have to vote for everything on the ballot. You can just go and vote for what you want. But to me, it seems like it's you're asking for the polarization when you have closed primaries. Yeah, I mean... And there's also a lot of people that, you know, for independence, for example, maybe they veer a little bit more towards the left or the right, but they're completely shut out of the process because they're registered independent. And you would think that you would want those voters involved in the primary process as well. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Just as an aside, just something that I had thought of over the past week, especially with these election results, and for the most part, not just in the state of Iowa, but nationwide, pretty good results for the Democratic Party. In fact, we'll talk a little bit more about one of those it wasn't an election, but it was a result that was good for the Democrats and good for people in general, if you ask me. Now let's get into some caucus news, our cock talk segment this week. Front page news from the AP, Republican presidential candidate Tim Scott abruptly announced late Sunday that he was dropping out of the 2024 race, a development that surprised his donors and stunned his campaign staff just two months before the start of voting in Iowa's lead-off GOP caucuses. The South Carolina senator, who entered the race in May with high hopes, made the surprise announcement on Fox News Channel's Sunday Night in America with Trey Gowdy, one of his closest friends. The news was so unanticipated that one campaign worker told the Associated Press that campaign staff found out Scott was dropping out by watching the show. Quote, this is quoting Tim Scott, I love America more today than I did on May 22nd, but when I go back to Iowa, it will not be as a presidential candidate. I am suspending my campaign. I think the voters who are the most remarkable people on the planet have been really clear that they're telling me, not now, Tim. Yeah, they've been pretty, pretty clear. Yeah, pretty clear. Not now. Yeah, I had high hopes for him, too. Well, I mean, it would be nice to have a more normal Republican Party. And so more normal to me means, you know, a Tim Scott or a Nikki Haley. You know, there's not really, maybe, you know, Hurt out of Texas would be good, too. And I don't know the Burgum person. He hasn't been here, so I haven't got, had a chance to talk to him. But more normal would be good. I don't think DeSantis is going to be more normal. I think he's going to be as bad or worse than Trump. So it would just be nice to go back in time a little bit and have that where I remember going and, you know, and, and hearing the Republican candidates, you know, many years ago where we were talking about where they were talking about different kinds of ideas that some of them I thought were good. Sure. You know? And it was just policy disputes and 
ideas about the role of government and taxation and stuff like that. But it was sort of within the normal range of human discussion. Sure. Now it's not. Well, yeah, now all they talk about is bombing immigrants, locking up all the Mexicans in the country, deporting people, separating parents from their children, cutting Social Security, cutting Medicaid, cutting Medicare. There is no compromise when one side is like, nope, we're going to cut it all. And have big, giant, uh, you know, centers to deport like 10 million people. Yeah. And Trump is going to come after his political enemies. He's going to come after the media. I mean, he's going to clean house of the military. Why do you think Tommy, Tommy Tuber, Tuberville isn't... I like Tuberville. Let's Tuberville, just call him Tuberville. Tuberville. Tommy Tuberville. He's, <laughs> uh, he's not holding these military promotions back because of abortion. He's holding them back for when Trump gets into office, if Trump ever gets into office. All of this is about... You know, destroying democracy as we know it. I mean, Trump is, people have pretty much laid out what they're going to do, you know, with respect to weaponization of the Justice Department, getting rid of people that aren't Trump loyalists out of every level of government that they can, um, packing the courts. Um, I mean, they're going to, you know, they're going, you know, they're going to end the filibuster. I mean, they're just, go, you know, they're just going to wreak havoc. And it's, if we think it's bad now, it's just going to get worse. That's why can't vote for a Republican for anything. I used to vote for Republicans sometimes. Mm -hmm. Not anymore. Two things about Tim Scott real quick. One is apparently, I have not seen them my, myself today, but I have seen tweets of people saying that Tim Scott's ads are still running. So it was that much of a surprise to his campaign that they still have ads running. And secondly, way back when he declared... Not too far after we started this podcast, we started in March, and as they said, he started his campaign in May. We discussed that Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, two people from South Carolina, one a senator, one a former governor, had a pretty good shot at maybe being that last person standing alongside Donald Trump. You actually wrote a piece on it at the time about how Nikki Haley and Tim Scott shouldn't be disregarded. And here we go, Nikki Haley certainly seems like the candidate that has the most to gain from Tim Scott dropping out of the race, especially with South Carolina being the third state in the primary process. Well, like we said last week, everybody else needs to just get out. Yeah. I mean, it would be nice if DeSantis got out too. I mean, he's on, you know, he's not going to. He will, I think he will when he, the calculus is that he has nothing to gain and only more to lose if he stays in. So we'll see. I think Haley's in. Well, who knows what kind of deal they'll make behind the scenes. But yeah, Tim Scott never got traction. And part of the reason was he didn't live up to his own hype. He was supposed to be this joyful warrior yeah. that was after all this positive message. But when I first saw his, you know, the announcement of his campaign, it wasn't a hopeful message. It had the same sort of dystopian grievance um kinds of uh, grievances that the other candidates have. They're yeah, no, no message of uniting yeah, the country, yeah. getting Democrats and Republicans on the same page, trying to find places where we can agree and work on things together. There was very little of that. There's very little of that period in the Republican Party right now. 
The other thing is his latest ad, he accused Democrats of calling him the N-word in his most late his latest ad, which may or may not be true, but it seemed to me when he starts saying things like that, he's probably nearing the end. Because yeah. that's very inflammatory language, obviously. And he's a black man, and I'm not disputing whether or not he's been called the N-word by Democrats, but it seems odd to use that as a campaign ad. I saw it. You know what the real problem with Tim Scott was? He was boring. Yeah. I mean, he was a good speaker, but part of the problem he's boring is something that we all know that we live in Iowa. Do you like to sit next to, let's say you're at a party or you're at some kind of event where the person at the table occupies all of the time, monopolizes the conversation talking about his relationship with Jesus? <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, people say that they, you know, they'll say it. They'll talk. Yeah. You know, I'm a Christian, and you know, whatever they want to say, but they don't monopolize the whole conversation. One of the worst political campaign events I was at was at an event in Oski with Tim Scott, and he goes on for about you know half an hour about his faith journey. He could have done it in two minutes and then gone on, but the part that was just, I don't know, you know. That was so, there's got to be a word like for grownify to inspire <laughs> groans amongst yeah. the audience. Sure. I don't think grownify is a word. Maybe I was thinking be. off-putting. Well, but what was really bad, well, first half an hour of boring, tedium, you know, sucking all the oxygen out of the room. But then some guy in the audience says, can I share my, my faith journey too? Oh, please. Yeah. And so we get to listen to this old man in the audience share his faith journey. And then somebody else wants to share. And so it's like... What is this, church? Yeah. So he made a mistake. Rick Santorum never did that. Mike Huckabee never did that. Ted Cruz never did that. Not that Ted Cruz is a Christian, but, you know, he's just an opportunist for whatever. You know, I suspect Huckabee and, <laughs> and Santorum are, but not... You know, he's, you know, he's not a Christian. He's the devil. Yeah. So, but anyway, they could all do it. And they won the caucuses. Why can't, you know, why can't Scott just, you know, share a little bit? Sure. Rather than suck all the air out of the room and remind us of the tedious people that people don't even want to be around, you know, in the break for coffee between Sunday school and mass or church or whatever. You don't want to be around them. Right. And so he's, he was one of those kinds of tedious Christians. Well, we don't have to worry about him anymore. Don't have to worry about going to any of his events. He is done, at least for this election cycle. Thank goodness. Well, he may well be back. Well, and then there were three, right? I mean, it seems to me right now that it's Trump, DeSantis, and Haley. Maybe Vivek might stay in the race for a little while, but it doesn't seem like he's gained much traction, even though he's been touring the state of Iowa nonstop. He's got ads everywhere. So it does seem like it's a three-headed monster for the Republican nomination right now. This is from KCRG-TV. Nikki Haley's presidential campaign will reserve $10 million in television, radio, and digital advertising across Iowa and New Hampshire beginning in the first week of December, a massive investment designed to give the former United Nations ambassador an advantage over Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at a critical moment in the GOP nomination fight. 
Details of the advertising plans, which represent the Haley campaign's first official advertising reservation, were obtained by the Associated Press ahead of a public announcement expected this week. Haley's planned investment as of now is more than five times larger than DeSantis's current advertising reserves for the same time period, according to the media tracking firm Ad Impact. Haley's move comes as she fights to emerge as the clear alternative to former President Donald Trump to represent the GOP against President Joe Biden next fall. DeSantis stands as Haley's strongest competition for her party's second place slot, although the Florida governor's campaign, ha- uh, campaign has shown signs of financial strain following a tumultuous summer. Hmm. So just as Nikki seems to be trending upwards, DeSantis and his money seems to be trending the other way. Yeah, and I don't know really why in the sense that when I go to DeSantis events, Iowans love him. But, you know, just the national scene, you know, and his performance at debates, you know, maybe that is doing it. Maybe wearing white boots did it. Here's a thought. Maybe he's too similar to Trump. Maybe Trump is taking up all that side of the party and DeSantis has spent a lot of time now he's obviously an opponent so he's trying to separate himself but for the past four years when Donald well not should say past four years but when Donald Trump was president Governor DeSantis wanted to be right there front and center with Donald Trump the entire time so he kind of hitched himself to that wagon Nikki Haley of course actually worked for Donald Trump but I don't think their policies and their attitudes seem different enough that there'd be two different kinds of voters that would vote for Trump slash DeSantis or Nikki Haley. Yeah, the thing that people thought about that I've talked to think about DeSantis is that he'll be even more effective than Trump. There won't be all the drama, although DeSantis is full of drama himself. So maybe if he wouldn't have uh, taken on Disney or done some of that kind of stuff that did yield all this, you know, really stupid attention like Trump does... Maybe, you know, maybe it would be different, but yeah, I I don't know. I'm just glad to see him go because I think he would be more, I th- well, I think he's more stable than Trump. He's more focused and that I think that he would, and he's more calculating. He's just as sinister, just as, he's more evil than Trump. Trump just blows everything up. He has no empathy. He's, you know, total ego-driven. But DeSantis, he... If Trump... I don't think Trump is trying to destroy America. I think it's just... Everything is caught up in his ego. Correct. I, think, I, don't, I think he's basically an agendaless man. He just makes decisions on whatever he thinks is most popular with his supporters. Right, and with the with his handlers, with all the people behind him, all the Stephen Millers, the Heritage Foundation, all those people, the America 2025 Project, which is about dismantling government in America as we know it. I think DeSantis will be directly aligned with those people, and he won't be a, the distraction Trump is to them. Trump is the chaos maker. DeSantis will come in and close the deal. Correct. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. Trump is known as the deal maker, 
the ultimate businessman. Well, that's what he says about himself. We know right. better. Yeah, I'm just saying in his self-marketing, that's what yeah. he's known as. We all know that he's not very good at making deals. He's also known for firing people on TV, and he's afraid to fire people in real life. Yeah. So it's all fake when it comes to Donald Trump. Speaking of, I didn't have this on the agenda either, but he is still running for president, so we do have to discuss him a little bit, I think, in our Cough Talk segment. But he was speaking to a crowd and called us, you and me, Dr. Bob Vermin. Yeah, I caught that. Not us specifically. That would be freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. I would love to get a shout-out from Dr. Bob. The Iowa Revolution podcast coming out of his lips. Whew, be music to my ears. But he did call Democrats Vermin. Yeah. And we basically need to be exterminated. Yeah. Oh, he's been doing things like hasn't used the word vermin before, and he's, you know, never said that if that his if his political opponent is doing better than him, he'll have him arrested. I mean, he's never said that. I don't believe, but no, that a vote for Donald Trump is actually a vote for any of the Republicans is just, you know, it's just it's you know different degrees of a step for the end of democracy. Do you see that? Kevin McCarthy supposedly elbowed one of his fellow senators, or I guess it would be representatives, in the back on Capitol Hill. Yeah, and this person was talking with speakers. I can't remember what his name is. I know he's from Tennessee, is where he represents. And he was one of the Republicans that helped oust Kevin McCarthy from his speakership. And Kevin McCarthy was walking by and apparently elbowed, elbowed him right in the kidney to the point where the guy like was physically hurt, was assaulted. Well, and then, you know, also today in the Senate, um, one of the senators got into it with uh, the head of the auto workers. There was some kind I of, saw that. Yeah. And the guy said, yeah. like They were going to lay down, you know, their gloves and go at it. Apparently, this guy had, had made some sort of statement about this senator. Where is the senator from? And I can't remember his name either. Miller? It was some sort of really... His, his name was like Mark Wayne Miller or something like that. Anyway, he was, he was reading a quote from the witness who was with the United Auto Workers, basically calling this guy out as, you know, a cheap suit and just had said, name a place, name a time, and let's settle this like men. Something to that effect. So the senator is reading that quote, and he said, this is a time. This is a place. How about we settle this like men right now? And the United Auto Workers guy was like, yeah, <laughs> okay, let's do this. And then you hear Bernie Sanders, who's chairing the meeting, like, whoa, sit down. Like, act like you're a U.S. senator. Act like it. And, I mean, my God. They're we had a Republican race. senator challenging somebody to a fight in a Senate chamber. A witness. Yeah, well... It's the middle school. I mean, this is a middle school kind of thing. It's not the toddler tantrum kind of thing with Trump, but it all, you know, it's self-perpetuating. Well, what's so upsetting about it is you know that he's sending out fundraising emails as we speak saying, I'm tough against these union bosses and all this stuff. And I'm sure all the Republicans are cheering him saying that, yeah, you know, stand up to those assholes and don't take it from them. And so it's not only... The behavior of their leaders, but it's also being cheered on by the rank and file, yeah. which to me, it was hilarious. Let's take a wider scope. This is from KCCI. The Supreme Court is adopting its first code of ethics 
in the face of sustained criticism over undisclosed trips and gifts from wealthy benefactors to some justices. The policy was issued by the court Monday. The justices, who have hinted at internal deliberations over an ethics code, last met Thursday in their private conference room at the court. The issue has vexed the court for several months over a series of stories questioning the ethical practices of the justices. Many of those stories focused on Justice Clarence Thomas and his failure to disclose travel and other financial ties with wealthy conservative donors, including Harlan Crow and the Cook brothers. But Justices Samuel Alito and Sonia Sotomayor also have been under scrutiny. Public trust in and approval of the court is hovering near record lows, according to a Gallup poll released just before the court's new term began on August 2nd. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Clarence Thomas is the worst. You know, just all of those plane rides and, and you know, I forget all the deals, you know, buying property and all kinds. They of went things. on some sort of golfing trip at some very exclusive golf course. They also went on some sort of like men's retreat in Orange County, California. That's very exclusive and very expensive. And we talked about it at the time. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or whoever appointed you to the Supreme Court. All of that crap is get it out of here. Exactly. Get it out of here. The fact that it's Clarence Thomas, who cares? It could be Elena Kagan. It doesn't matter. If you're taking gifts from people that may appear with cases in front of the Supreme Court, you should at at the very least recuse yourself from that case. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just, and I'm sick of reading about it. It's just like, how can they be so out of touch with what America should be and what we want. How could you be so, so, I don't know, openly unethical? Do they not have any sense of right and wrong? This is our Supreme Court. Do they not have any sense of right and wrong? And this also is basically without teeth. There is no fine. Of course, there's no jail time. There's no penalty for breaching this code of ethics. So it really doesn't mean it's worth the paper that it's printed on, basically. It's probably just to get people off their backs, maybe. Like, hey, look, we did something. We've got this code of ethics, but it doesn't hold anybody to a certain standard. It's not going to change the behavior of Justice Clarence Thomas or anybody else on the court. If they've already done this, as you said, they're Supreme Court justices. You should live your life by a code of ethics regardless of whether or not there is a quote-unquote, code of ethics for the Supreme Court. You're the the main arbiter of the laws that we all need to abide by. And they don't apparently care that there might be a conflict of interest. Well, and they think that they're above the conflict of interest at best. Right. I mean, they think, oh, that won't play into it. But, of course, it does, even subconsciously. But Sure. No, it's just arrogance. It's entitlement. It's, you know, privilege. And uh, it's just, I mean, you and I would know that we wouldn't do that. Right. You know, if, if we were called to jury duty and, and we were on a, jur- on a jury and there we had a conflict of interest about the case, we'd say, hey, you know, maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, I know this jury. guy, yeah. you know, yeah. we're drinking buddies or yeah. whatever. But no, not them. They're going to be on there to, to bend the will of the jury their way. Only they're the ones in power. They're the judges. They're the judges. Yeah, they're not even just the prosecutor or the lawyers. They are the ones that decide yeah. this law is constitutional or it's not. 
Yeah, what's constitutional, what's right and wrong, and they have no clue what is. To me, it's very close to one of the reasons why I never joined a fraternity is because I didn't want to pay to have friends. And this seems like one of those instances where, Clarence, were you this popular before you were a Supreme Court justice where people would just take you on these expensive trips? Do you not realize that they probably do want something from you? Are you that naive that, to think that you are just that popular of a guy and just the kind of guy that everybody wants to have at their party? Yeah. Well, and his wife was involved with the insurrection and yeah. and he's and he's making judgments on, you know, different, you know, matters associated with that and well, that brings up another thing, too, is how long we let these Supreme Court justices stay on the court. Of course, it's a lifetime appointment. But back when we wrote the Constitution, the lifetime was 45 years old or whatever it was. You didn't leave, live until you were 95 years old. And Supreme Court justices have the best health care known to man. They're going to live until they're 100 years old. So are we really just going to, for the rest of the time that we have a country, allow these people to have... 40, 50 year terms on the Supreme Court. And then when they're doing that, just like senators and congressmen, they can get more and more money from more and more people that try to influence them. Yeah. Whereas if there is more turnover, it'd be harder for those people to do that. Yeah, I mean, I've read about, you know, people suggesting a 10 or 12 year term and then you rotate. If you're young, you rotate down to a lower court. And that would, you know, yeah. put, you know, different people in, you know, and it would freshen it up and you know it would be a better court well the thing is when they first made the rule of it's a lifetime appointment that was supposed to separate them from politics it's a lifetime appointment so there's really no point in peddling them you know or gaining influence with them but that's backwards to me anyway but it's like if your whole point is you want to have the court be separate from politics i think a term limit would accomplish that better than a lifetime appointment yeah I mean, a decent term limit, 10, 12 years. That's plenty of time. Yeah. Most people don't have a job for more than, you know, the same job for more than 10 or 20 years. Why do these people? Yeah. I don't know. Still taking a wider scope, this time in entertainment. This is from the Associated Press. Since 2008's Iron Man, the Marvel machine has been one of the most unstoppable forces in box office history. Now, though, that aura of invincibility is showing signs of wear and tear. The superhero factory hit a new low with the weekend launch of The Marvels, which opened with just $47 million, according to Studio Estimates Sunday. Sequels, especially in Marvel Land, aren't supposed to fall off a cliff, yet The Marvels debuted with more than $100 million less than Captain Marvel opened with, something no sequel before has done. David A. Gross, who runs the movie consulting firm Franchise Research Entertainment, called it, quote, an unprecedented Marvel box office collapse, end quote. Yeah, all because it only made how many millions of dollars? $47 million. $47 darn That's it. a huge flop. Yeah, flop. Yeah, but, you know, I never even heard. I didn't know it was coming. Same. I mean, I did know that it was coming out, but I didn't even know it was already out. Like, I knew it was coming. But I didn't know that it was already out. So when I heard the, the numbers that it flopped, that was the first time that I had known that it was actually already in theaters. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I don't know what the writer's strike or, you know, any of those other strikes in Hollywood had to do with the it. The actor's strike. Yeah. And also, obviously, it didn't get a very good release date. I mean, early November is, or I guess mid-November mid now. It's not like that's when people necessarily flock to the movie theaters. Usually you would save that for like Thanksgiving weekend right. or Christmas weekend or... Obviously, a summer tentpole blockbuster type thing. So the release date certainly didn't help. 
it's I think a lot of people are just tired of Marvel though. They've seen, you know, they they washed all the way through until Infinity War and Endgame, and that was the close of that chapter, that saga. And since then there's been kind of hit and miss movies. Our family really liked Shang-Chi. That was a really good Marvel movie. But some of the other ones we've seen, we could have gone without. I just like them all. I mean, I just I don't have very high standards for for movies if I like them, especially action movies, you know, just some good special effects. I haven't been able to follow the storylines in the Marvel Universe or Star Wars or Star Trek. I can't follow <laughs> any of those storylines. I mean, because you... There's such a long time between the movies, you know, you forget what happens or whatever. It doesn't matter. They were still all internally consistent and interesting, even if they had elements in them I didn't recognize. Sure. If I would have recognized those elements, it would have probably been even better, but I just, you know, I still like them. And I think, and I don't care what the critics say. I mean, I really don't, because some of the most critically acclaimed movies to me are the very worst movies and some of the ones that you know people don't like like this one I'm sure I'm sure it's very good um, I don't know it's just I don't listen to movie critics on top of the the money disappointment is also a disappointment in terms of it has three female leads and it's also the first Marvel movie directed by a black woman so hopes were that it would do better because of course they're going to blame it on the three women and the black female director, even though they were due for a backslide anyway. A lot of people have Marvel fatigue. They just don't want to watch it anymore. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. I've just, you know... You know I, also, now I'm looking did forward you ever, to it. Also, did you ever... I, never, I was a comic book fan, sort of, when I was growing up. Sort of knew who Captain Marvel was, but wasn't... Like, it's not like that was a big superhero when I was a kid. So the other thing is, too... I don't even know what the Marvel... Like, if I'm going to Iron Man or the Incredible Hulk or Captain America, I know who those characters are. And they're dead. <laughs> well, Robert those are all dead now. Well, one of them was. Who was the second one you said? The Incredible well, Hulk. He's... The Hulk is... He's not dead, is he? I don't Robert think Downey so. Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man is dead. Iron Man is dead. Captain, Captain America Well, is there's dead. a new Captain America. Correct. But yeah. But anyway... I knew who those characters yeah. were. You knew what you were, at least somewhat knew what you were getting when you went to the movie. If you go to the Marvels, I I personally, just speaking for myself, wouldn't know what to expect. Well, I was around, I don't know, I, I forget what they call the uh, golden age of comics, but when I was, you know, in the 50s and 60s, I was reading comics, and Marvel, Captain Marvel, wasn't one that you would see everywhere. It wasn't right. like... Well, Marvel was just really getting going back then to compete with DC, but it wasn't a common. I mean, I used to go to the barber shop and there'd be you know, you know, dozens, maybe hundreds of comics there for the kids to read, and you know they were almost all Superman or Batman or sure. the Flash or mainly, mainly DC. DC. Right. And when Marvel came around, it was more edgy, and I right. liked that. And, and Marvel, I mean, X-Men was the big thing when I was a kid. Still a very big part of, of Marvel. but And then Spider-Man was also a fantastic Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four was another one. But yeah, Captain Marvel, the Marvels, nope. pretty unfamiliar. But I thought, I thought that uh, Captain Marvel last time was good. The 
female Captain Marvel. I thought she was good. I liked it too. And I'm sure I'll see the Marvels eventually. It's just probably not going to go to the theater to watch it. And I'm guessing a lot of people are feeling the same way. Let's end off with some good news, shall we? We teased it at the top. Tuesday's yes vote on Ohio's issue one adds another tick in the W column for abortion rights as anti-abortion forces have now lost every single time the people have been directly asked whether the government should be able to force us to stay pregnant against our will. It's a tremendous relief. Ohioans have enshrined the right to access abortion and other essential reproductive care in their constitution, effectively blocking the enactment of a six-week abortion ban that has been looming over Ohio families for years. Ohioans United for Reproductive Rights deserve tremendous credit for making this happen. With issue one, the coalition overcame Republicans' dogged determination to keep Buckeye State voters from advocating for their own bodily autonomy at the polls. The victory is all the sweeter given how hard GOP leaders, especially Governor Mike DeWine, Secretary of State Frank LaRose, and Attorney General David Yost, worked to quash support for abortion rights. Looking back on their efforts provides a delightful opportunity to experience a little schadenfreude. Indeed, it's kind of amazing how spectacularly these guys whipped the vote, considering how much money and power they had at their fingertips. Yeah, it's happening everywhere. And now they want to take that power back. They said, send it to the states. And now they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You yeah. guys aren't voting the way that we thought you were going to. So now we're going to try to cede that power back. Yeah, some of the worst people. Yeah, so I think, you know, this will be a big issue, and it should be a big issue for every race going forward. I mean, yeah, it's, it's uh, very encouraging. What happened in Kansas was encouraging. Yep. Um, we'll see what happens in Iowa. I do know that Iowa, we, we don't have the power as voters to vote directly on things like this. You see it all the time in California. They, the voters actually vote on propositions themselves. Iowa does not have the mechanism to force a vote on an individual issue, whether it's abortion, clean water, you name it. We yeah. can't force that vote. We just have to vote for representatives that agree with us that women should have control over their own bodies. Yeah, and if you want an, if you are against abortion, don't have one. There you go. Anything else that we missed this week? Oh boy. Um, looks like we're on track for not only the warmest September on record, the warmest October on record, maybe the warmest November on record. I don't know about you, but I'm liking this global warming, man. <laughs> what was it, 65 degrees, 66 degrees today? I think it's going to be a nice 69 degrees tomorrow. Yeah, but that's a, not a very logical. We can enjoy I'm obviously, it. You know, the, I'm obviously being you know, somewhat facetious there, but... Maybe there will people I, that will make that argument. Maybe Iowa will be a sought-after state to move to with global warming. Although yeah. our ground will be arid, we won't be able to farm anymore, so yeah. there really won't be anything here for people to do. I guess we'll grow cotton. <laughs> there you go. And yeah, the South will just be nothing but desert. Yeah. Uh, anything else that you wanted to mention or get off your chest? No, nothing else comes to mind. Oh, uh, Kim Reynolds got an award from the Heritage Foundation about her school choice. You know, and she oh, said yeah, she wants, you know, well, it's a good thing. People, uh, you know, shouldn't be, you know, the quality of their education shouldn't be dictated by how much money they have or their zip code. But that's precisely what is ha happening. <laughs> yes. Is that the rural kids, 
you know are screwed yeah and then uh, um and all the money is going you know to uh all of the um, private schools with no accountability and so and then it's not helping poor people they still can't afford to get into those schools and the heritage foundation is the architect but behind the 2025 and similar efforts uh to undermine democracy so if do you think i'd accept an award from an organization that wants to uh Undermine democracy? No. No, I wouldn't. She shouldn't either. Kim gladly did. Yeah, most people don't know what the Heritage Foundation is. Or they have this sort of a, a quaint idea that, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, it was this conservative think tank when, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it seemed like just a conservative kind of thing. But what we have in motion now with Trump has been going on at least since Barry Goldwater. Right. So the Heritage Foundation is part of it so racist xenophobic sexist right yeah let's get on to top five condiments shall we that sounds good we'll start off with number five number five is honey mustard nah 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 Nah, honey's i'm not much of a sweet person i'm not much of a mustard person you're a sweetie (laughs) right no i mean honey by itself well i sort of act like i like honey but, I, you know, because who can not like honey? But I really, I can do without honey. I could also do without honey, to be quite honest. Because honey mustard, it's just, yeah, that little bit of sweetness added to the mustard. I'm also kind of particular when it comes to honey mustard. Like, I, I like Hardy's honey mustard, but I don't like McDonald's honey mustard. They're very different. McDonald's is a little bit more runny, not as much flavor. I like the bright yellow Hardy's honey mustard. Almost looks radioactive. No. <laughs> That's good. Now, I must admit, I may have never had honey mustard. I may have never really had it. Have I you had, like, Dijon mustard? Yeah, I'm not a big fan. I'm also not a huge fan of, like, Grey Poupon I like Dijon. horseradish. I'm not a horseradish like, fan. Yeah, I like horseradish. But not Dijon or Grey Poupon. You know, no thanks. <laughs> Number four, the old standby, ketchup. I've, you know, ketchup is okay. I don't, you know, when I was a kid, it was good. I don't eat ketchup. That's the thing. When I was a kid, that's pretty much the only condiment that you really have. I remember my mom used to make bologna sandwiches and then make a smiley face with the ketchup. Oh, that's sweet. Put some mayo on the bread and then the bologna and then a little smiley face with ketchup. that's nice of her. Yeah, she's a great lady. Well, maybe that's why you turned out to be so nice. Oh, thank you. I will put ketchup on a... I will put ketchup on a hot dog if I'm a place where the only thing there is to eat is a hot dog. Well, ketchup. here, let's get into this situation. So on a, on a hot dog, is it just ketchup, ketchup and mustard, or just mustard? In terms of what you typically would have. Just ketchup. Because I go both. I go ketchup and mustard. There's a lot of people out there that think that you can't put ketchup on hot dogs at all, which is ridiculous. I think yeah. they taste good either. I wouldn't turn down mustard, but I wouldn't put it on it. What I'd really like to put on is chili beans and like chili dogs. Oh, yeah. Chili dogs are fantastic. So chili is the ultimate condiment then. <laughs> and I, yeah. Honestly, I left it off, but that should be on the I mean, people wouldn't think about it that way, but it is on a hot dog. Well, here's something that people wouldn't necessarily think of as a condiment, and I had to look it up, and it is a condiment. Number three is nacho cheese. <laughs> Whenever... I have a bite of nacho cheese. 
I feel that I have taken one more step toward the grave. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Honey mustard, I want it radioactive. I want it yellow as hell. No. Same thing with nacho cheese. No, I want no, it radioactive. I want it bright you die, yellow. Every bite, you die a little more. But I'm going li- to die happy. No, you're going to die with greasy stuff <laughs> in your mouth. Uh, well, it doesn't get much better from here because we're just getting more unhealthy as we go through this. Number two is mayo. Little mayonnaise. Yeah, mayonnaise is okay. Do you have mayonnaise with your cold cut sandwich, with your like ham and cheese sandwich? What do you put Sometimes. on your ham and cheese sandwich? Yeah, mayonnaise would be the best. Yeah. But see, my problem with mayonnaise is uh, a long time ago I had a girlfriend who would make homemade mayonnaise. Mm. And that was really good. Oh, really good. I thought you were going to say it was not very no, good. No, it's fantastic homemade. So that's ruined you off of yeah, other... Yeah, that's ma- right. I got it. Gotcha. And she's long gone. So That's too bad. No homemade mayonnaise. Yeah. Long gone is in terms of she's dead? <laughs> I don't know her current corporate status. I don't know where she is in the universe. Do you like Miracle Whip? No. I'm okay with Miracle Whip. Yeah. Yeah. And some things I kind of prefer Miracle Whip. Like, I shouldn't say prefer, but sometimes I've got a hankering for Miracle Whip. I don't mind Miracle Whip with, like, tuna salad. Like, if you make, like, tuna salad with hard-boiled eggs and stuff. Sometimes Miracle Whip hits the spot with that. A hankering for Miracle Whip. Those, you know, those four words may have never been put together before. That was a unique moment in time. That, that was, yeah. That you was know how good. to make a man feel really special, <laughs> Dr. Bob. Number one, and this one is a little bit controversial sometimes. It's one of those things where I think you either hate it or love it. My number one is I love ranch. Ranch dressing. I eat it with... Everything. I dip pizza in it. I like to dip pretty much anything in it. And especially appetizers, cheese balls, mozzarella sticks, breaded uh, mushrooms. So good. It's okay. But think about it. Where does... What is ranch flavor? When I think of flavors of ranch, I don't... I mean like ranch, like ranches with cows and stuff. Yeah. Where did the ranch... It is weird that it's called ranch. I think there was a Seinfeld episode about that. Probably. Yeah, well, you're forgetting, you know. Okay, let me tell you. Okay, I know one of the ones that you're going to say. It's some sort of like green chili salsa or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Any anything, green chili, any salsa, any picante sauce. They're all, you know, some are better than others. Do you like really hot things? Like, do you like your hot sauce to be super hot or mild or just kind of in the middle? Well, one of the things that that um, if you're really a gourmet, one of the things that's important isn't just the hotness itself. It has to have a flavor. Totally agree. Absolutely. Because so, there are plenty of just hot sauces out there. But then all you're doing is just frying your mouth and you can't taste anything. You can't yeah. taste the sauce or the food. Right. And I've got some experimented with some very hot, hot sauces. And, and they're great if they're flavorful. But, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things. There's, um, oh, uh, I've been doing this new Tabasco Sriracha sure. sauce. It's really good. Sounds good. Um, and uh, I like anything Chipotle. Yeah. I mean, that's what I prefer. I once had a, a hot sort of mustard-based sauce out of Jamaica that I've never been able to find again and that was the best I've ever had and so the difference between like hot sauces and salsa I mean I, 
I like them both, but you know, the salsa, sometimes I'll do salsa and a hot sauce, but I mean, there's all kinds of, you can't go wrong with a hot sauce. Tabasco's a little vinegary. Agree. I'm not a huge Tabasco fan, to be honest. I'm more of a, I like Louisiana hot sauce is like my preferred. I also like several different cookies brands, especially the fact that it's made in Iowa. So we get cookies quite a bit. And then I also like, um, it's just like a buffalo sauce. Uh, can't remember what the name of it is, but it's also just sort of, you know, it's a buffalo sauce, so it just yeah. tastes like buffalo wings or whatever. I probably have, I don't know, a dozen different kinds of hot sauces at home. I'm sure you do. Yeah. No, they're good. And, yeah, no, I'm just a hot sauce, hot, hot chili. Hot Yeah, hot. You know, I love <laughs> green chilies. And anything with green chilies. Red chilies good, too. Green chilies are delicious. Next week is top five funniest bird names. But you forgot the ultimate um, condiment. condiment. Yeah. What is the ultimate condiment? How could I forget the ultimate condiment? Peanut butter. That's not a condiment. On celery? Uh, I guess I suppose maybe it could be considered a condiment. Yeah. I suppose. Then, oh, like, honorary like, con- condiment. I think so. Better. Or like Nutella, I yeah. guess, might be like those sorts of spreads, maybe considered condiment but i'm not sure that that seems like more of the star of the show and condiments are usually more complimentary true good point so yeah i'm not sure how that would be classified or if it's just like a spread i just kept thinking of peanut butter when i did want to let you know that do you know what the number one selling condiment is in america no but i would if i had to guess i if i had put money on it i would say ketchup salsa Salsa. Yep, salsa is number oh, one. Oh, and that happened. That changed like ten years ago, didn't it? Did. It? Yep. Yeah. It was probably right about ten years ago. Yeah, I remember. Obviously, with influx that. of immigrants, probably helped out salsa sales. The other thing I was thinking about is because I was surprised that ketchup wasn't number one. But when I was thinking, salsa may also be more just sold more because you go through it faster. Like yeah. our bottle of ketchup, and we we eat ketchup. I would say just like any normal American, not too much, not just sitting right. in the cu- cupboard but you know a bottle of ketchup lasts six months whereas a bottle of salsa lasts a week or two <laughs> you know because when you get salsa you eat the chips or if you have it with whatever dinner you're having and it's gone you got to go back again right. to get it right. so no that's a that's a good point i bet there are people listening right now that have had the same ketchup bottle in their refrigerator for three or four years oh i guarantee yeah yeah and you were saying, what were you saying for next week? Birds. Yeah, funniest bird names. Latin names or just, just regular ass names? bird names. Well, that's you know, that's going to be an interesting one. That's going to take some research. I might have to bleep some of the words out, to be quite honest. Really? Just yeah. the I've already names? looked at some of these. Yeah, a lot of boobs and tits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about birds here, people. Are we talking about the best names or the I'm worst talking about names? just funniest bird funniest names. names. Yes. Okay. I might not even be able to say some of them. I was going to say, you might blush at some of them. Probably will. So yeah, that's next week. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. We're at Iowa Revolution. Make sure you subscribe to our Substack. If you're listening right now, you can subscribe at Substack. Just go to Iowa Revolution, and you'll get this email to you every Wednesday morning. And also make sure you subscribe to Dr. Bob's Substacks. We have Deep Midwest, Politics and Culture, and we also have Cedar Creek Nature Notes, which is taking a walk in the woods with Dr. Bob. So 
two very different substats, but both very interesting and worth uh, subscribing. And thanks to all of you that subscribe to our podcast already. Certainly thanks for listening along and being a part of our Iowa Revolution family. We'll be back next week, Dr. Bob. Looking forward to it already. Me too.